All human thought, all science, all religion is the holding of a candle to the highest power Are we here because we gaze at the stars, or do we gaze at the most possible pointless When the stars were right, they could plunge from the world to the world to the sky. When the stars were wrong, they could not live. But although they no longer lived, they would never really die. When the universe is vast and inexplicable, and you are weak and insignificant, then you know you are playing Call of Cthulhu. This is an actual play of Call of Cthulhu 7th edition, featuring adult themes and horror. Listener discretion is advised. Find our published scenarios at starsarewrite.com or contact us for help unleashing your own twisted tales upon an unsuspecting world. And now, settle in, dear listener. Intrigue, high adventure, and cosmic horror await when the stars are right. Hello and welcome back listeners. Today we have something slightly different planned for you. While we prepare for our next long-form game, we are exploring Chaosium's Alone Again Strange. The Alone Against are solo scenarios, kind of like choose-your-own-adventure books, using the Call of Cthulhu mechanics and dice. We are playing them in pairs, with one person reading the narration and the other making character choices. So, without further ado, enjoy Alone Against the Tide. Hello, Hal here. Today we're going to be playing Alone Against the Tide by Nicholas Johnson and Friends, tagline Solitaire Adventure by the Lakeshore. So this is one of Chaosium's solo adventures. I'm going to be uh, the keeper slash, well, narrator, really, of this Choose Your Own Adventure. My player today is going to be... Fedra, and I'll be the player, and also the rats, who will be background noise. Yes. We are in the same room as our lovely rats, so if you hear any clattering and clinking, it's probably us, but it might be a rat. Do you want to tell us who your character is today? Yes, I am playing Professor Eleanor Woods, who is the pregen of this adventure. Alrighty. So, um, just a tiny bit of background about the adventure. Unlike a standard game, there's no keeper. It's basically a choose-your-own-adventure solo scenario. It is set in the affluent lakeside town of Esbury, Massachusetts, a dangerous place uh, where there is every chance that your investigator might die, apparently. Spoilers. And whether you manage to solve the mystery will depend on your choices, which affect not only what happens to your investigator, but also the people you meet along the way. Oh, so. No. No pressure. It's a lot of responsibility. I hope you're ready. Mm. So our story begins sometime in the 1920s on the pier opposite the lakeside resort town of Esbury, Massachusetts. Your investigator's reasons for visiting the town are discussed in the relevant entries. Mm. Uh, read through the introduction getting started sections we have. Thank you. Uh, and when you're ready to begin. The sun sinks low on the horizon as you board the ferry headed across the lake to Esbury. As you set foot on the boat, the ferryman greets you with a wide smile and a cheery wave. He stands by the gangplank as you pass, welcoming the other passengers as he removes his cap to scratch at his balding head. His pudgy figure fills his well-worn suit. He looks a little awkward, but he seems a rather pleasant sort. Leaving the man behind you, you take a seat toward the prow, eyes fixed on your destination. Pensive. <laughs> I can see you getting into character already. 
You settle into a seat with your thin briefcase resting on your lap, noticing that the rest of the passengers are likewise getting comfortable for the short trip across the lake. Glancing around, you catch sight of the ferryman entering the cabin. As you sit patiently and wait for the engine to come to life, you listen to the sounds of idle chatter around you. You look out across the water and notice a thin fog beginning to form over the surface of the water as the temperature drops with the approach of night. You're missing out on a real pantomime here, listeners. <laughs> we need to start videoing these. After a few minutes, you hear the engine sputter into action and feel the ferry lurch forward. The conversations around you continue as the ferryman joins you all on deck. You can't help overhearing most of the talk, though it's surprisingly banal. There are almost a dozen passengers on the ferry, most of them are simply looking to spend their money during their weekend in Esbury and to enjoy the various shops and leisure activities the lakeside town has to offer. Many of the passengers seem to come from money, as is common in Esbury. You notice a strange look from one of the women in the group. She has a full figure and brown hair and eyes. She seems to be looking you over, admiring your features. Um, oh, and hello. Hello, right? It begins. So there's a little bit here talking about making your own investigator, which I know you've already done. You already I'm actually have your using stats. the Parisian. Yes, exactly. Well, you allocated the extra skill points already. Mm -hmm. Right. If you're using one of the pre-generated investigators, Dr. Woods, I love, by the way, um, as you know, in no fewer than two campaigns, I'm playing uh, a female character called Dr. E someone. It's true, and now it's me. <laughs> and now it's you. It could have been you, 50-50 chance. I know, right? Ah, my streak has been broken. I could have gotten the hat trick. Anyway, um, so... <laughs> Take this opportunity to look over your characteristics as this uh, NPC looks you over. So, Professor Eleanor Woods is um, of average height, stature, and strength. Um, and. Yeah, running that wheel, rats. They are powering us up. <laughs> <laughs> She's of a uh, slightly below average appearance, actually. Mm. Uh, but she makes up for that with her, wait for it, straw tam o shatner hat. tam o shanter tam o shanter hat. A straw tam o shanter Yes. Okay. So that's probably what she's looking at. Yeah, that's a statement. Other than that, she, she's wearing smart skirt, suit, lace-colored blouse, um, and just very formal clothes but also the hat. Okay. And she's holding uh, a briefcase, as you said. Um, other than that, super unremarkable. Uh, a bit tanned with dark hair and brown eyes. Um, just minding her own business and not expecting to be ogled. Well, I mean, you wouldn't, this would you? lady on this trip. Unless it's about the hat. Unless it's about the hat. Yeah. Okay, so, um, <laughs> and what's your profession? She's Professor Eleanor Woods, and professor her profession of. is Professor. And it doesn't say of, but she does have um, a lot of knowledge of archaeology and anthropology. So I assume she's either of those things. Okay. And she is carrying with her the manuscript of the research that she's writing right now. Perfect. So, important briefcase. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so Professor of Generic Lovecraft professor Studies. Professor of Professorship. <laughs> Professor Eleanor Woods. Marvellous. Okay. <laughs> Your pronouns are professor and professor. <laughs> yes. Well, the woman clearly sees something in you that she likes. On me. The hat. The hat, presumably, yeah. 
Um, I, I'm pretty sure Tam O'Shanter, isn't it one of those like Scottish hats? I have no idea. I want to say it's a traditionally Scottish hat and I've never seen a straw one. Eleanor is from Boston. Cool. <laughs> that well-known uh, hub of straw tam shanters <laughs> Anyway, the woman clearly sees something in you that she likes, the hat as discussed. Uh, perhaps it's your looks, or a glint of intelligence in your eyes, or perhaps- She is very smart. Your hat. She is- how smart are we talking? Um, 70s, so okay. above average. Pretty, pretty smart. But, but quite educated, I suppose. Very educated. No, right, professor, there it is. And very lucky, but doesn't know that. Not yet. <laughs> um, is this woman going to get lucky? She gives you a sly wink before turning back to her companions. You likewise turn your attention to the rest of the passengers. I take apparently... off my straw hat and like fan myself with it. <laughs> yeah, it's getting hot on this boat. Sitting apart from the general crowd are two men in dark, well-tailored suits, whispering quietly to each other. They have unamused expressions on their faces, as if they don't seem pleased to be here. Perhaps they're on business. Noticing that you're sitting alone, the ferryman approaches you. Wow, this is a really social voyage. <laughs> the ferryman approaches you and stands over you with his characteristic smile. You notice he's missing a tooth in the upper left corner of his mouth. <laughs> a bicuspid, possibly. His eyes are bright as they light upon you. Good afternoon. You look a bit lonely there, friend. What brings you to Esbury? Uh, <laughs> if you're creating your own investigator, now's the time to choose an occupation. Uh, but since you are not... You're playing Dr. Woods. The skill points have been assigned for you. Should have, prepared, uh, should have been preparing a person as we spoke. Yeah, it turns out you could I have done so. Well, let that be a lesson to anybody who mm. uh, who wants to stop listening now because of spoilers and go and play the adventure <laughs> themselves instead. Yes. Uh, so, you're a professor. We're going to entry 23. For anyone playing along at home. <laughs> You mentioned the passing of a distant colleague in Esbury, mm -hmm. and how you've been sent by Miskatonic to recover his work and bring it back to the university. Mm. The man sighs and nods slowly. You mean Professor Harris? Real shame what happened to him. Always seemed like such a nice man. Officer Powell says they're still clearing up the mess of the professor's place, but some of the more valuable bits will probably be at the estate sale tonight, if you really want an it. The man looks down at his hands for a moment, and then back at you as he extends one your way. Anyway, I'm Lance. Lance Sanford. Pleased to meet you, but I wish it were under better circumstances, eh? Would you like to inquire about Professor Harris? Inquire about Officer Powell? Ask Lance Sanford about himself? Ask about the estate sale? Or pass the time waiting to arrive in Esbury? I feel like I'm heavily encouraged to have a discussion with this ferryman. Please don't. I hate his accent already. Might or <laughs> I don't might know why I'm know, doing this. Might or might not know something that is really important, but I don't know why. So we'll first start by... Uh, you want to talk to Lance Sanford? I mean, I have to. Alright. I'll say... I'll start with... Um, so, uh, tell me about yourself, uh, Mr. Ferryman. What brings you here? You ask Sanford about himself, and he beams a big, bright smile your way. I've lived in Esbury for years, since back before all the rich folk found the place and turned it into their little vacation spot. My father owned the ferry to and from the town, and he passed it on to me when he got too old to do it himself anymore. I love it here. I can't imagine living anywhere else. The lake is so clear and clean. I guess that's why we got so many visitors. 
This place has definitely grown since I was younger, though. Sometimes I miss the way things were before, but I love Esbury all the same, even now. You'll like it here, too. Sanford winks at you. That's two winks. I am a winks. wink magnet today. <laughs> you exchange a few more, few more pleasantries with Sanford before he goes off to finish guiding the boat into port. Oh, wait, I was going to ask him about the other stuff. Uh, too bad, apparently. You pass, <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, you pass the time in casual conversation with the other passengers and in observing the scenery. You note the tall pines and the sloping hills along the lakeshore around Esbury. These features and the small town beyond are just visible through the growing mist, but squinting helps make them out to your satisfaction. In time, you arrive on the pier at Esbury, grateful to be off the water. Getting a bit seasick, but uh, much better now. Be uh, on the ground, touching the earth. Kissing the ground like a Winking shipwrecked at the mariner. <laughs> <laughs> It's how they communicate, apparently, here in Esbury. Everyone winks. Mm-hmm, everyone you meet. Yeah. yeah. You take your first steps onto the pier with the rest of the ferry passengers, each of whom wink at you as they pass. <laughs> that does, that's not what it says. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get your land legs once again. The passengers still chat casually as they walk off to their destinations. You note one last little flirty wink from the full-figured woman as she struts along confidently behind the women accompanying her, and you feel the two dark-suited men push past you at a brisk pace, nudging you out of their way. Sanford gives you one last wave and a smile and a wink as he begins tending to the old rust-stained boat that is his pride and joy. The last light of the sun is winking fast. Sorry. <laughs> what? The last light of the sun is fading fast, and the fog is growing thick on the water now. Ooh. The night is still young, but you would rather not be wandering around in the darkened fog of a town you're unfamiliar with. Taking in your surroundings, you see a sizable crowd jockeying for entrance into a lavish, modern-looking building along the lakeside. A folding sign sits out front, illuminated by a lantern. The words, Estate Sale Tonight, are written on it in large, bold letters. While this seems to be the main attraction, you could also seek out somewhere to stay for the night and set about your work in the morning. Uh, if you've not done so already, do a bunch of stat calculations, but you have, so good job. Nice. Would you like to go to the estate sale or find somewhere to stay for the night? Assuming I have not arranged anywhere to stay for the night, because uh, Professor Eleanor Woods um, has as her ideology and beliefs that fortune favours the prepared mind. And how did she travel there without booking accommodation first? That's a really good point. Anyway. On a late ferry, too. On a late ferry. What time is it? What if everyone's booked up? Uh, sunset. Say? We don't know what season it is, though. I mean, surely Eleanor has to be prepared. She will have to find somewhere to stay. God forbid everything books up. Okay. And well, then she's just out, stranded. Gotta do what your character would do, right? I mean, yeah. And then she can check the big estate sale. Okay. Wait, is that only tonight? Uh, the sign says, estate sale tonight. Well, I'm sure it's not important. This has been very poorly planned. <laughs> very disappointed. You can, uh, you can write a stern note uh, to the <laughs> university admin staff when you get back. I will. But first I have to make sure I have somewhere to sleep for the night. Alright. While the estate sale seems interesting, hint, hint, wink, wink, you would feel more secure with a roof over your head for the night. You pull someone out of the crowd and inquire as to where you can find a room to rent. God, that's pretty violent. Right. <laughs> like, oh, you, you wink. <laughs> I wink at them. <laughs> I'm taking your hotel room. Give me the key. <laughs> uh, 
You're directed a few blocks into town to a modestly priced hotel a few buildings down from Esbury's police station. As you enter in from the cool night air, you're greeted by the heat of a roaring fire. The small front room feels stuffy and cramped. The bulk of the space is dominated by the large service counter, behind which sits a wiry-looking wisp of a woman. She turns her wide eyes to you and asks your name, then quotes you a price that's more than fair. With the transaction complete, you haul your thin briefcase up the stairs, unpack it, and settle into your room for the night. I haul it. This thin briefcase. Thin briefcase. What's your strength? Uh, In my briefcase is only the manuscript and three pairs of underwear. (laughs) Haul them. Is that what was on your character sheet? Three pairs of spare underwear? Not three. It says um, change of underwear and essential toiletries. My hat and my manuscript. That's all (laughs) of my belongings. That's all I brought. Very prepared, though. Absolutely. Extremely prepared. Um... Did you ask me something? Uh, I asked what your strength was. Oh, 50. Okay, so you have average strength, but you're really making a meal of getting up these stairs. <laughs> well, you make it to your bed and you're, you're exhausted, apparently, because <laughs> you go to bed. Oh. You... Listen, that's the way this adventure is going to work. I think you're going to have to grab these opportunities as and when they arise, because it's not going to let you go back. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just trying to be in character. Uh, well, hopefully you'll be rewarded for all of your uh, roleplay later. <laughs> you wake in the morning, grateful for the rest. You rise from your bed and take in the modest surroundings that make up your room. The furnishings are sparse, a small, poor-quality dresser, and a cramped and dusty writing desk tucked in the corner. Sitting atop the desk is a plate of eggs and toast, apparently set out for you by the hotel's owner. Without me realising that Would they had like, my knock, room? Knock, knock, yeah, that's invasive. Was sleep? That's terrifying. Also, that's the worst breakfast to leave someone. For how long? How long has it been there? Did I smell it? They're cold and manky. (laughs) The the breakfast is terrible, I'm sorry, you have food poisoning now. The walls are plain and unadorned, save for a single window that faces toward the lake. However, this view is currently blocked by the incredibly thick fog, which has taken on a pale green hue. Your vision is obscured entirely, and you cannot see into the depths of that outlandish green mist. You also notice your personal belongings placed around the room, Exactly as you left them the night before. I promise. Super suspicious. <laughs> this hotel stuff is a little bit weird. I'm feeling uh, unnerved already. Hmm. The true horror. Housekeeping. That is a rat. Eating a Pringles stew. Crunch, my boy. Crunch. After getting dressed and eating the modest breakfast set out for you, you're ready to begin your day. You take a moment to consider what that means for you. Your mind turns to Professor Harris. If you're so inclined, you might be able to investigate the circumstances of his death further. Considering that you don't have his widow Amelia's address, you would have to start your search with the official report filed with Officer Powell at the police station. Alternatively, you could take this free time to look through your belongings and examine any items you might have. The hotel owner has been in your room, so a check of your things might be in order. Or, perhaps you have some other reason to look over your possessions. Finally, if you feel that your business in Esbury is concluded, you could always try to find Lance Sanford at the ferry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye. I did it. I'm done for today. (laughs) What? Yeah, so you could go to the police station, look over your items, or just call it a day and go to the ferry make this a short episode. This is super strange. Hmm, I don't know if it's going to direct you back to this entry. No, presumably not, because you've just eaten your breakfast, it specifies. Maybe I ate breakfast every day. <gasps> oh. 
um, I guess, like, it feels like I should be able to check my belongings and then go to the police station. Well... But if I check my belongings, it's probably <laughs> gonna take all day and then I'm just gonna go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So I guess I have to go to the police station so that something happens. It's up to you. I mean, what if the hotel owner put a bomb in your suitcase? Then I won't be here, so... You're not gonna take your suitcase with you? Oh. It's not actually a choice that the book gives you. So... It's, it's a briefcase, it's not a suitcase even. Yeah, so it's small. Light. Yeah. So how could there be a bomb in there? Oh, well, I don't know what 1920s bomb technology was like. Maybe he just filled it with eggs. I don't know where this guy is. <laughs> Point is, do you really feel safe not checking over your belongings? I feel like station you're final answer. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just messing with you. Alright, you go to I the don't, cops. I feel like she would check her belongings. I just, I'm trying to, to metagame a little bit so we get something out of this <laughs> So that some kind of story happens. <laughs> Alright, you go to the cops then. You step out, well, you try, you try anyway. You step out into the greenish mist. You feel it clinging tightly to you as you make yeah. your way the short distance to the police station. Upon entering the small brick building, you are struck with a sense of claustrophobia. The walls here are uncomfortably close together and space is tight. Crammed into the tiny structure are a large desk, several filing cabinets, and a few chairs. A closet-sized holding cell with iron bars sits at the rear of the room. Behind the large desk is Officer Powell, smoking a cigar with his feet propped up on the table. His coat is unbuttoned, and his hat lies on top of a stack of papers next to a battered old revolver. He opens one eye and frowns at you, sighing through his cigar as he straightens, him as he straightens himself up to look presentable. If you're bothering me right now, I'm going to assume this is important. You mention that you would like to see the police report for Professor William Harris's death, to which he replies with a snort, You have no business dealing with that, and even if you did, this is my jurisdiction. Shove off and leave me in peace. He doesn't seem cooperative, but perhaps you could convince him that you have some special circumstance that warrants you looking through his files. Roll fast talk for me. Well, I have a 25, mm -mm. so it could be worse. One four odds. 59. Okay. Do you want to spend, uh, as you know, the luck rule is in place. You could spend 24 luck to make this happen. I probably won't. You know what? I respect that choice. In that case, you fail to talk fast. Hello. Can I please get <laughs> to see the file? <laughs> you try to convince the officer that you have a particularly good reason for needing to access the file. What do you try and convince him of? Um, that I am convinced that there are some major typos in there and I'm a professor that has been sent by the central offices of the FBI to make sure that there are no typos in the local police reports. They're more like me. Well, astonishingly, <laughs> he simply doesn't care. <laughs> Scram, stranger, you're ruining my smoke. If you want a dig at the dead guy, go bother his widow. Her place is over on the north side of town, right next to the church. Can't damn well miss it. Officer Powell will be of no more help at this time. Cool. Do you uh, go to find the Harris house, or return to the hotel? I feel like maybe I should go to the house. Good choice. <laughs> Thank you. You walk into town toward the Harris address. Even knowing the location, it's difficult for you to find your way due to your unfamiliarity with the town and the density of the peculiar green mist. As a result, it's some time before you arrive at the Harris house. As you approach the building, a man steps out of the fog, blocking your path. He is young and thin, with rather angular features and the faint hint of a moustache atop his lip. He's dressed in a dark suit and stares at you from beneath a flat cap. You're an unwelcome surprise. I don't know what you're looking for, but you won't find it here. 
Your eyes betray you as you glance at the Harris house. The man scowls visibly. Why don't you leave the poor widow alone, you creep? If you want to bother her, you're going to have to go through old Joshua here. Capiche? <laughs> I can see I've given him the perfect accent. <laughs> Capiche? Uh, his hand brushes beneath his coat as if searching for something. Oh no. But then he stops himself. He pauses for a moment, looking you over once more before spitting on the ground at your feet and turning away. Do you... Unnecessary. Like, rude, right? Do you call out to old Joshua? Um, or do you simply make your way to the Harris house? Or heed his warning and return to the hotel? When you say call out, like, with swear words, or like, by the way... <laughs> you call him out on Twitter, you create a very compelling hashtag. Ha <laughs> ha! Uh, it just says to call out to Joshua. It's a weird one because he's like, <laughs> you gotta leave this widow alone, if you wanna bother her, you're gonna have to go through me! And then, and then just, she walks away and, and just lets leaves. you yeah. So apparently you could be like, hey wait, you said I'd have to... <laughs> <laughs> I wanna bother you! You could. Or um, you could just go in, apparently. But he has a gun. Uh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> his hand brushes beneath his coat as if searching for something. I have something. a feeling I'm gonna, like, roll stealth if I start trying to go to the house. And if I try to talk to him, it's probably gonna make me, like, intimidate him or something. It doesn't say to sneak your way in, it just says to make your way to the house. Let's do it, you know? You only live once. You're, you're, you're heading straight for the house? Yeah. Okay, he shoots you in the back instantly. You're paralyzed from the waist down. Can we both reach for the gun? <laughs> oh yes. We saw Chicago recently. <laughs> um, Alright, despite Joshua's urgings, you feel compelled to speak to Amelia yourself. You approach the front of the house and note your surroundings. The house's exterior hints at the wealth of the occupants, but then again, so do most places in town. Directly across from the residence is a small church, whose religious iconography seems to have inspired the Harrises in the design of their own home. A bronze cross hangs over the front door, and decorative columns line the outside walls of the two-story house. All in all, the architectural style is somewhat Baroque, complete with a pair of carved angels lounging beneath the eaves that are just visible through the strange haze. You knock on the door, and wait in the mist for a few moments, hoping for someone to hear you. Eventually, much to your relief, the widow Amelia answers the door. She's wearing a bright red dress which accents her deep crimson lipstick. She appears to have taken great care over her appearance. She flashes you a smile, and winks. No. She flashes, you a <laughs> she flashes you a smile and invites you inside. The house opens into a large foyer, and you see various crates and bundles stacked high along the walls. You're just selling off a few of the more common things. Mind the mess, the porter hasn't come for it yet. She takes you by the hand to lead you past the stacks of items, helping you to pick your way through the deceased Professor Harris's assembled possessions. She takes you into a small drawing room full of antique furniture and offers you some coffee. After settling in and exchanging a few well-mannered pleasantries, you ask in more detail about the late Professor Harris. Amelia sighs theatrically and looks down at her hands. I can't imagine what you want to ask about William. I found him in his study with a gun still in his mouth. What more could you want to know? Please make a psychology roll. I already know what's happening here. Mm. 28. That is almost a hard success. Ooh. All right, well, no hard success was needed. Let me see now. Finally, my, this is my first success of the game. <gasps> That's exciting. Oh, it doesn't allow me to tick things. No, this. I don't think there's an investigative development phase unless you want to bring this investigator through to another adventure, assuming she survives. Why not? 
You don't know why you hadn't realised it before. Selling all of his things, adopting such a flirty demeanour, dismissing questions about her husband's death. Amelia doesn't seem too broken up about her husband's passing. She's hiding something, you'd bet your career on it. You suspect she's involved in Professor Harris's death in some form or another. You open your mouth, prepare to call her bluff and press her for more information, but you are interrupted by a loud knock at the door. Amelia jumps up, startled, and stands there for a moment in confusion as the pounding on the door resumes. Police! Open the door! Amelia's face drains white as she goes to answer the knock. Hmm. Goodness. Hmm. Your gut tells you something is wrong here. <laughs> oh, I wonder why. That's very intuitive of you. <laughs> you feel uneasy about the officer at the door. You tell yourself you're being irrational and on edge. But you have some trouble fighting that feeling. She clearly killed someone and the police is here. <laughs> or maybe Joshua called the police on me. Because you're not allowed to knock at people's doors. Mm. Yeah, it's illegal in this town, actually. And you didn't wink at him, so... You have a few precious moments to react. You can either ignore your instincts and wait, or take this chance to hide and attempt a stealth roll. Why not? <laughs> yeah, you Why go for not? it. Do you have any stealth points? I have 30 stealth. Okay, that's not bad. Wish us luck. That is a 95. <gasps> Oh, that is so close to a fumble. That is so close to a fumble, but uh -uh. not quite. There's no fumble rules in this either, so it's just success or failure. I don't know this house. The the rooms are massive. There's nowhere to hide. Yeah, you try to get behind the sofa. There's not enough room. Your instincts get the better of you, and you feel compelled to make your escape. You rise from your seat, looking for suitable exits. The only way that doesn't lead toward the entrance is through the kitchen. You don't know if there's an exit that way, but you think it's worth a shot. I was never planning on exiting. Well, you're I gonna just wanted to hide in a closet. <laughs> um, Mistakes. It's worth a shot, but unfortunately you never get to take it. As you rise and head for the kitchen doorway, Officer Powell bursts into the room shouting, Freeze! Police! You glance over your shoulder and see his revolver leveled at you, and you go stiff. You're under arrest for trespassing! You're gonna come with me, now! She let me in! Yeah, this is, uh... With know. a smile and a wink. <laughs> right? What do they call justice in this town? He has you dead in his sights. Talking would do you little good, as he's already caught you trying to flee the scene, which apparently makes you double guilty of the crime of trespassing. <laughs> you should probably do what he says. On the other hand, you could try to run. Staring down the barrel of a gun, the odds don't look good, but maybe you like your chances better with the gun than the prison cell. Do you go quietly or do you make a run for it? This is ridiculous. This this scenario goes hard <laughs> right off the bat. Why did I do so wrong? Oh, wow. Uh, I'm not a runner, am I? But I'm not a talker either. <laughs> You're more of a an anthropologer. Goodness. Oh no, you, you don't even roll. Oh, I know, you just I'm rolling make a to see what to do. Oh, are you? Okay. Okay, below 50, I run. Above 50, I wait. Let the fates decide. 87. Alright. So you go quietly. I do. I mean, to be fair, running... Mm -hmm. She does have a mysterious past, Professor Eleanor <gasps> Woods. She's not just an uh, apologist. Not so. just a pretty fairness. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's not that pretty, but yeah. 
Well, the officer is armed and angry, so you decide it's probably best not to resist. You're escorted out of the house at gunpoint and into the sickly green fog. Amelia neither says nor does anything as you pass. She simply stares at you as you go. And she winks. God damn it. <laughs> she doesn't, I'm sorry. On the street, just outside the Harris property, you spot Joshua winking madly. Grinning madly. His eyes meet yours, and his smile gets just a bit wider. He put Officer Powell up to this. He's not even trying to hide it. That still doesn't explain why, but at least you know for a certainty that Joshua is not friendly to you, just in case you had any doubt, <laughs> and that he has Powell in his pocket. Uh, I don't know, Powell was just itching for a reason right? to lock you up, honestly. I feel like he didn't need much persuading. You mull this over as you're marched through the misty streets and taken to the police station. You're ushered into the dim and dingy room and shoved into a closet-sized cell on the far wall. Officer Powell turns the key in the lock, sealing you in the cell. He settles into his seat and pays you no further mind as he begins puffing on a cigar. He seems to have no intention of letting you go anytime soon. So you have a couple End of, of options. Here. <laughs> yeah, you lose. Um, you can simply wait the night in the cell. You can attempt an escape, which will involve a locksmith roll. Or you can try fast talk to convince Officer Powell to release you. I'm going to attempt an escape for a locksmith roll. Heck yes! Roll locksmith, please. Please, dice. Don't let me down now. 20! That is a hard success. Oh, wonderful. High drama. You spot a paperclip lying just outside the bars of your cell. No <laughs> doubt it fell off one of the stacks of documents on Officer Powell's desk. You slip your hand between the bars and reach out to grab it, sighing with relief at your good fortune. You bend the paperclip to serve as an improvised lockpick. Glancing up, you see that Officer Powell is still turned away from you, puffing absentmindedly on his cigar. I didn't even wait for him to leave. Apparently not, you're going for it. You set to work trying to get the lock open. The lock is strong, as it's meant to keep criminals safely behind bars, but it is no match for your skills. It takes you some time to finally get it open, but eventually you feel it give way. You check on Officer Powell one more time. The you're in an incredibly cramped room. <laughs> a closet-sized cell. Yeah, the the cop isn't even like napping at his desk. No, he, he just, just happens to be looking away. And you're is... like clank clank. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Check out Still the balls there? on Doctor E. <laughs> you check on Officer Powell one more time. He seems to be paying you no attention. If your luck holds, you may be able to sneak out of the prison cell without him noticing. Luck, did you say? Uh, no, you're going to roll stealth, actually. Oh, no, Why don't you just again. wait for night time? That's terrible. He's going to go home. That's not f I wouldn't have done this if I knew I had to roll stealth afterwards. Brutal. 56. I'm assuming that's a failure. I have 30. You want to spend a load of luck? You can't push, I'm sorry. I have no way of giving you worse consequences, so there's no push rules. I'll spend the luck. Are you? Are you? It's 26. Oof. What's your starting luck? 70. Okay. Yeah. Alright. That's still... Oof, that is a fair whack of 44. your luck. 44. Ouch. I know. But like... Okay. You know? Fine. You succeed, and you slip silently out of your cell and press low to the ground. Powell is reading over his documents and puffing away contentedly at his cigar. He doesn't notice your breakout. 
After several tense minutes, you manage to inch your way toward the building's entrance. Can we just picture this? Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. The building is tiny. He's just <laughs> sat there at his desk, and you're literally like belly crawling in front of him. If someone <laughs> comes in that front door, things are going to get really awkward. I know. I hope they don't because it's not all my luck now. Right? Or if he gets up for a donut or something. Yeah. Anyway, you inch your way towards the building's entrance, presumably about two meters from the good officer pal. You crack the door open just enough to escape, closing it behind you as you exit. That's amazing. I can't, I can't wait to see his expression when he realizes what happened. <laughs> Must be the wind, says Officer Pal. 